Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. Yes, you did. What? How? It's never natural to do this. It, hi. It's it's me, your friend. Whoa, no. It's me, Pete. Welcome to uh, oh, You Made It Weird. I hate this, but I'm, I'm going to keep it for you and for me, for us both. This is a great episode. Nick, Nick is a wonderful friend. Nick Thune is a wonderful friend of mine and a true delight, and I'm so happy that he did it. You'll notice uh, that this, is, this was recorded a while ago. I actually think this was recorded... Uh, before, no, I don't know. It was 2011. I know that. And now it's 2012 because I say 2011 in the podcast. And the problem is, is we're backed up. We have too many episodes. We keep recording things. Things get pushed around. So I'm happy to say that for the foreseeable future, we're going to be doing two a week. So that's why this is coming out uh, late Thursday or Friday, basically Friday morning. So I'm very happy to say that. So please enjoy. Weirdos, I love that you guys are into the show, and thank you for listening. And we're going to be doing two a week because we just have too many. I'm so excited about the ones that we have coming up. So we got to get them out. I can't, I can't have them sitting around. And, uh, and I'm happy that you guys are uh, willing to listen to as many as we put out. So this is Nick Thune. Uh, first, before we get into it, we're going to play a track from my album, Impregnated with Wonder. It's available on uh, iTunes, Amazon, and PeteHolmes.com. And uh, so enjoy some stand-up, then some tour dates, and then we're going to do the episode. So I basically just made it real easy if you want to skip this. It's probably going to be like four or five minutes. Okay, stand-up stand up comedy. Bye. It's funny to make silly jokes. You know what I do a lot off stage is, uh, really? That's, all. That's kind of all I do. <laughs> That's kind of all I do. I don't know what I was saying before I had. Really? Was I just going, ha <laughs> Something, cold soup? Ha <laughs> But now I just go, really? Gazpacho? Really? <laughs> Even in serious situations, I was almost hit by a car. I almost died by a car. And I looked in the window and the guy was reading a book. <laughs> and I think most adult men in that situation would be mad and express emotion. But all I did, I just go, Really? Really? Driving? While straining? Really? Can't put down the secret? Really? I don't even say the full word sometimes. Just, really? Yeah. So just R-A. That's not a word. It's an Egyptian sun god. Really? Yeah. I think there's a lot of jokes we should stop making. Now that we're all here, I think we should talk about them. For example, when you're in a store, you're trying to buy something, and you get it to the cashier, and they start trying to scan it, trying to scan it, doesn't scan, won't scan, they don't know how much it is. Ten times out of ten, a knucklehead in that situation will go, oh yeah? Must be free. You don't know how much it is? I'll wager a guess. Free? Is it free? Give that to me for free. Shut up! That joke is over! A cashier hears that a thousand times a day. Stop it! It's not free. You're free. You're worthless. Be quiet. When I'm on the street and I see a limousine, always one person in my group of friends will go, Oh, my ride is here. Be quiet! You're a dick. No one likes you. I want to hit you in the head with a frozen ham. An ambulance is your ride. Or you're in a car at a party and a CD skips or an iPod malfunctions. Oh, 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 oh the remix! Be quiet forever! I want to remix your life so you were never born. Can P. Diddy do that? Can he rig 
you from the earth with rhythms? <laughs> 2010, I was in, uh, in uh, Williamsburg, supposed to be a cool area. I saw someone running as fast as they could, probably for medical attention. Someone ducked out of a deli, ding-a-ling-a-ling, just to go, run for it! <laughs> really? That movie happened like 15 years ago. Run for it, run is over. Say anything else. Say, this is Sparta! <laughs> It doesn't make any sense, but at least it happened this decade. You don't believe me? Walk around the city with a bouquet of flowers. 50,000 people you don't know are going to come up to you and be like, Excuse me. Are those for me? Pardon me. Are those flowers for me? I know you don't know me. But imagine a reality. Where those are for me. They are for you. I'm going to murder you and put them on your ground. I, I recently realized, though, I'm the asshole in each of these examples. It's me. I'm making fun of myself. I'm that guy. Because I was leaving a haunted mansion in October. That's when they're open. And on the way out, there was a security guard standing next to the, to the store, and the store had a sign that said, Bottled water, $7. And without missing a beat, I just go, Now that's scary. <laughs> it's me! I'm the dick! Then a limo pulled up, I go, My ride's here! Shot myself in the balls. <laughs> oh man, what a treat. <laughs> I didn't I didn't just listen to it. I'm pretending like I did. I don't even know which one we picked. We're going to pick it after I record this. I'm being artificial. But man, that was great. Ah, what a good one. Okay, real quick. Chicago, January 27th through 29th. I'm at Up Comedy Club. Seattle, February 1st. I'm at the Laugh Hole. San Francisco, Feb 3 and 4. I'm at the SF San Francisco Sketch Fest. SFSketchfest.com. Austin, February 15th through 19th. I'm at the Cap City Comedy Club. Madison, March 1 through 4. I'm at the Comedy Club on Main. Uh, please go to any of those websites or go to PeteHolmes.com. Check out tickets. Come. Come out. I want some weirdos at those shows. You fucking weirdos. Oh, no. Why'd I, why'd I turn on you? Okay, let's get it. Play, play guitar music that I did that's bad. Okay, then the interview. <laughs> I want to talk about last night and hilariousness and uh, all that fun. You ever just listen to yourself breathe? Every morning. Do you? Mm-hmm. You just watch the slow rise and fall of your chest? I do you ever do that at night where you're <clears throat> trying to focus on how you're breathing and uh, you go from chest to stomach breaths? Like when I, when, I, when I learned how to sing, they teach you how to breathe out of your chest. I think we both enjoyed for a, mo- a brief moment. We were we were wondering if we were going to pounce on the fact that you said breast, kind of, but you meant breath. No breast, breast. Oh, you do mean breast, <laughs> like chest. I mean chest. <laughs> <laughs> chest breathing. That's one of my dad's oldest jokes. <laughs> breast. My dad. My, I'm breathing from my breast right now. That's very old timey. My, my dad used to tell a joke, a street joke, where he goes, uh, "I have a friend who's a uh, very shy." He goes to restaurants, he orders the chest of chicken. <laughs> so, I'll take a chicken chest. 
Chicken Chess. That's the name of your next album. Hey, friends. This- I have to say what it is, Nick. What's the problem? Nothing. No problems. I'm just kind of hunched over in this mic. I wish you guys had taller mics. I do too. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be completely honest. No, but I found that about myself all the time. Like everything is built for people that aren't my size. Well, yeah, we're similar. I should just say this is Nick Thune. There. Welcome to. Oh, look at this. What's happening? Oh, she's put. Katie's putting a book under your mic. Bam. The squeaky podcast gets the <laughs> book. The yeah. old adage. Suzanne is saying that I do that. My wife says that I do that a lot. What? I'm the squeaky wheel that always gets fixed. Really? Well, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. As it, you did just complain and then get, got something done, taken care of immediately. So I appreciate that. Well, is, I, I complain and then I self-deprecate it back to me. I'm not on purpose. She's, she, this is what she says that I do. Like, you know, like I, I complain about something and then I realize that I'm becoming a complainer. Yeah. And so then I self-deprecate and try and charm people into like re- me, say, you know, almost like it's my fault, actually. You know, I know it's I, the reason it bothers me because I know it's my fault because I hunch my back and, you know, I turn right, it into that. Right. I don't know. So you need help. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Let me introduce the episode because nobody's going to know what's going on. Uh, hey. Ah, <laughs> what a weird way to start. <laughs> Hey, hey, there's no good way to start. This is uh, You Made It Weird, and you're listening to the voice of Pete Holmes. I'm your host, and uh, now listen to the voice of Nick Thune. Who is your, not your co-host. You're not a co-host. You're my guest. Co- you're my life co-pilot. I always say you're killing it, killing it in life. That's one of our things. I wish I could take that life to stage. I know. Yeah, you need to. You need to be funnier. <laughs> no, you kill it. You, you kill it on stage all the time. Killing it in life uh, way more often. But you do kill it in life. Big time. You're mm-hmm. hilarious in life. Good. Te- not, not like you. Good texter. Shush. That's true. It's <laughs> true. Pete, everyone knows that about you. I don't know. What in you fact, a that. guy that works with you that I'm working with right now huh? says that you oh. are the guy to have on set when they're shooting the show that you write for. Right. Because you are better than anybody at coming up well. with bits or fixing jokes. You know... I wish every every one of these episodes would start in this way with some sort of gushy, free flowing. It's true though. I love it, but you're hilarious in your own uh, in your own way. And for example, we were hanging. By the out. way, we're also giving each other hand jobs <laughs> yeah. under the table. That's true. Vigorous. <laughs> Vig- I, well, I'm doing it quite slow. Uh-huh. Like, you know those water snakes that you pick up as a child yep. and you can't hold on I'm, to them. I'm working the friction right you're, now. Yeah, you're being pretty unpleasant. I'm going to say. <laughs> Here's how you're funny in life. We were. You picked me up last night to go to the Hollywood Improv, a comedy club, and you, uh, to, instead of texting me, I'm here, you texted me a screenshot from your phone with the GPS dot on my house. <laughs> that is, the, that's killing it in life. That's the funniest, that is the funniest way. I'm never going to stop doing that. That was the first time I'd done it. It's like, this it's is the best. Yeah. It's from Nick Thune. I can see the time because it's, it's like my phone is your phone mm-hmm. in that moment or, mm-hmm. or vice versa. And I can see the time and I see your location and I'm like, oh, Nick is here. That's the funniest way to say. You know what I want to start? You know, another thing that would be fun to do with that is if you're ever going by somebody's house yeah. to just text that to them when you're by their house, just so they know that you're by them. That's funny without any mm-hmm. agenda. Yep. Like you're not coming up. Just know <laughs> that I'm here. Yeah, that's part of life. That's part of technology. And you could somehow jade it to where it's like three in the morning, like you're just parked out in front of their house. Yeah. I think there's something something kind of fun. There's something kind of intimate about sending those. Uh, I think we shared an intimate moment is that you you send someone the screen grab of your phone mm-hmm. is I see your phone. I see you how see many what, bars, bars you had. Yeah. I see how what which provider you have. Oh, he's got his Bluetooth on. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You got and you and you know in that case my Bluetooth was hooked up, but I do know if you that. were a good friend and you knew that I wasn't in my car, you just you would suggest like, hey, if you're not worried about your battery, you should cut that Bluetooth. I off. just I just told that to Chelsea. I was telling her battery saving tips for the new iPhone 4S. One yeah, of which turn the turn the you told me the raise to speak. Mm-hmm. You told me that. Yep. God, that happens to me all the time. Does that happen to you? I will start telling a story or a piece of advice or an anecdote to the person who told it to me. <laughs> yeah, I've actually started just imagining that every time I'm telling, I go, I know we talked about this, but uh, yeah, <laughs> like set yeah, it up in the yeah, beginning. That's perfect. <laughs> so I also the trick that a lot of people use is I always say good to see you instead of nice to meet you. It mm-hmm. just I just get bit in the ass like 500 times a month with we've met before. One time we were we were next to the same p- pizza. Well, just the other day I saved you. I pulled a little save on you with uh, the guy that took the photo of your album. That's right. You saw him, and I'll go into the full story now. Which one? Which with the story of what happened was? I, where did we run into you? Actually, it was outside of UCB. It was at UCB. Yeah, and and uh, we were there to check out the theater, and you saw us for a second yep. up front, yep. and you didn't know who he was. No idea. And we went inside and he goes, oh, I could tell he didn't know who I was. Yeah, I didn't. And then I text him. I text Pete while this guy was in the bathroom saying, hey, that, that guy that I was yeah. with is Scott, yeah. the guy that took a picture yeah. for the album. And the next time he saw him, you brought it up. And then after that, he said to me like, oh, I guess he did recognize me. He just, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally man. fixed it. Let's hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. But that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. I had no idea who he is. I know people say that they, they're bad with faces. I one time was in. I went to a building. Not to brag, I've been to building and I got into an elevator and this woman was in the elevator with me and I was going to see my commercial agents in New York City. And this woman got so in the elevator. Are those who you booked the E-Trade thing through? That's right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I do the old, I do the old poppin'. I, I, I do the old prodigal son returns. They slaughter a fattened calf. There's a <laughs> cornucopia spilling. I'm sorry you're drinking because you would have been you open. You open the, yeah. the elevator. Yeah. Guess who's back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like that at all. I've known them for many years, long before E-Trade, and they've been wonderful and supportive. These are people at uh, Innovative in New York. And I was going to visit them. And actually, this might have been pre-trade. That's not important. So I'm in the elevator with this woman, and she looks at me and smiles and says, hello. She has glasses, blonde hair, ponytail. And I'm like, hi. Like, I kind of, I just kind of give her like a cold, like, not cold, but just not warm. I go, hi. And then we get out of the elevator. I go into uh, the reception, and then I go, I'm here to see blah, blah, blah. And then they buzz me through, and I go in, and I go into the office. And then I realize that the woman in the elevator is one of my agents, is one of the people. She took her her glasses off, and you're like, oh, Heather, I need context. I need that desk and those That was like a Superman moment. That's what I'm saying. People are like, oh, no one would buy it. Everyone would know Clark Kent is Superman. Not if it's a world of me's. Not if it's people. If if Metropolis is filled with me's, I am fooled. You would be great in that movie. I would like to be in them. You know, it's my one of my life's goals is to be uh, to remake it to tall order the family vacation movies. I'd like to play the Chevy Chase part. Mm-hmm. I, just, I love dreaming big. I have a dream of re- remaking Night Shift. Is that real? Do you know the movie uh, with Don't fuck with me, fella. Henry Winkler. Is this real? Yeah, because I'll I'm just serious. believe you. No, I love the movie Night Shift, okay. and I want to remake. And I want to want to remake Burbs. I want to remake the Sega CD game Night Trap. <laughs> no one will get that. One person will get Night, that. I don't know that. At reply, I never Man played Sega. No, nobody did. Nobody did. Go on. I'm sorry. So you want to make Night Shift? Oh, I just love the movie Night Shift. I think it's a great, great movie that not a lot of people have seen. I haven't seen it. Henry That's Winkler, and Henry Winkler is basically what Mike. I mean, doing what Michael Sierra. Michael Sierra. 
<laughs> what Michael Sarah does now. I mean, it's really? yeah, it's like Michael Sarah would be the perfect fit for that. I would be a great fit for. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's actually interesting because I uh, this might be controversial. I always thought that Michael Sarah really kind of pioneered that degree of awkward. He acting. did well. He has a really great way of doing it, and it's totally it is different than what Henry Winkler does. But I think in this specific it movie, it's perfect. It yeah, I could, you just watch and you're like, oh, Michael Sarah could do that same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, talking about big dreams and stuff, one of the things that I love on this podcast for those of you who are just listening to this for the first time, big Nick Thune fans jumping in at episode five oh, wow, or whatever episode in. number, who cares? Uh, one of the things that keeps coming up because I'm fascinated with this is the psychology of success, okay? Your psychology. I consider you a successful person, mm-hmm. and I'm interested in your psychology. For example, you and I just had a very casual conversation about wanting to recast pretty po- – mine very popular yeah. movies. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's gargantuan. That's mm-hmm. grotesque yeah. even. It should be sh- scoffed at and shunned. But I, I just kind of casually will do that. So let me put it to you. I don't want to uh, talk about my No, no, my but I, I was going to say, but really, you just want to make a movie. You That movie meant so much. You want to make yeah. a movie that means that to yes, other people. Yeah, and I like that character. I like the mm-hmm. dorky dad character, and I'd love to do that in like a 2011 sort of world. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just love that that character. In fact, you know, it certainly influenced every type of comedy that I do, Chevy Chase and that character. Oh, Chevy Chase. But yeah. uh, certainly Chevy Chase. But what I'm saying is you didn't bat an eye at me saying that. And what I always like to hear about people saying is when you kind of set out to become a stand-up and to become an actor and to become a writer in comedy, let's just call it comedy, were you aware, did you just kind of like visualize it? I don't mean in a spiritual way. Could you see it? You know, like when yeah. when you and I have come up with shows, I go, I see it. I see the I see the mm-hmm. billboard. Our faces are already on the side of a bus. I see it. That's just something that happens. Does that happen? With Here's you? an exact ex- an example of my the first time that I imagined something and knew that I could do it. It yeah. was dunking a basketball. I remember just looking, and it wasn't a full ten foot hoop. It was in my elementary school, and they had eight foot hoops. Yeah, and there were just a couple sixth graders that could like dunk and hang on the rim. And I remember just looking at it, thinking. I know I can do that. Yeah. And then one day, and I never tried. Ugh. I just ran up, jumped, and I didn't have a ball, but I hung on it with two hands. And I remember at that point believing that if I see something and visualize it, I'm capable of making it it's happen. It's so funny. I say this all, all the time, and, and it's a thought I've ripped off from numerous self-help books and stuff, but like your brain doesn't know the difference. If you, especially as a child, mm-hmm. when your imagination is very vivid, uh, take the time to imagine yourself dunking that basketball, your brain almost is stupid. It's super smart and super stupid at the same time. And you visualize it and you don't know that you didn't do it. Yeah. And then it gives you that weird confidence and, and you're probably so much more likely to do it. I think that's the case too. And I, and I, I, I also use that in the sense of um, anxiety. Yeah. And if I'm about to do something and I'm feeling anxiety like The Tonight Show or something, I've learned that the exact same feeling that my body is experiencing is anticipation and excitement. Mm-hmm. And my brain is choosing to make it feel like I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. So if I can control that thought and then allow my brain to rework what I'm thinking I'm experiencing. That's really interesting. And even though, you know, it's so easy to um, get in your head and overthink things, I think that's, if you can control that, you can definitely allow yourself to enjoy things more when it comes to this job because anxiety is just always trying to grip you. Yeah. Oh God, it's always right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And, And it's so interesting that you say that you can, I think, kind of like alchemy, turn anxiety into excitement with enough Mm -hmm. practice. Also, one of the things that I find calming is if I'm having anxiety for like a Conan appearance and you can get in your head about uh, how many uh, million people will see it or whatever. How many ex-girlfriends. How many ex-girlfriends. Yeah, exactly. You could Mm -hmm. think of who could potentially be watching it. Hoping they see it. Yeah, yeah. My ex-wife is up late with her weird uh, husband. (laughs) 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 They're just in their fucking uh, stuff. You know that you know you haunt her. 
I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I try not to be petty. I actually do wish her uh, quite well. For those of you who don't know, I'm divorced, but uh, I do wish her well. But I, I'm only human. And occasionally in the back of my mind, I'm kind of like, I just I just uh, killed that thing. I hope I hope you see it. Mm-hmm. I hope you, isn't that sad? I mean, I'm not proud of that. I don't think. Do you think that, that she ever I don't think that's sad. I think that's totally normal. And do you think that she ever th- would see because ideally because I used to think things like this. Right. And then I would talk to my doctor about it. I'm on and off with doctors. I've never been honest with any of them. Yeah. And uh, and and he would say, well, what is it that you really want? Like, ideally, what do you want her? And I want and I'm just like, OK, so that means that I want her to be on the couch. Yeah. With whoever she's with, see me, yeah, get super hot, yeah. look at him, yeah. realize that he's nothing, yeah, look back at me, dump him right there, yeah, get in the car, say I'm going to have somebody come over and get all my shit out of this place, I'm gone, yeah, and find me. It's so funny. I'm trying to think of the name of this comic book uh, artist. This I believe. Oh, his name is Jason, just Jason, and he does these wordless comic books. And there's this brilliant one. Uh, I don't think it has a name. It might be called Shh, S H H H H H exclamation point. Anyway. It has, I think they have it here at Meltdown. I'll show it to you after. It, it has, uh, it has every fantasy that you have after your heart's been broken. Mm-hmm. She calls your name out during sex with the other person and he illustrates them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I read that right after my divorce and I was like, holy fuck. It, there's something nice about being like, I do have petty thoughts. I have shallow thoughts. I have cruel thoughts. I have mean thoughts. I try to be nice, but at the same time, yeah, if I, I'm the I'm the E Trade baby, and they have to watch the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. So they see your ex husband's voice is going, "Hey, I, I wonder, I wonder what you're doing right now." <laughs> how, how, how's oh, that, it's got to It's got to be yeah. constant. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I wonder if he's insecure about it. I, I I'd have to. You know, it, we have some comedian friends that date um, non comedians, which is you you you're married to a non comedian, but like, oh, let's talk about that. I happen to know somebody, and I won't mention them by name, who dates a guy who's not a comedian. And I know for a fact, because I've gotten drunk with him, that he's threatened by it. He talks about it. He's oh, like, I'm not one of you funny guys. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> vomit just cascading down its face. Just so fragile. There's really no need to feel that way. Your, your quality when dating a comedian is that you're not a comedian. Yeah. You know what I mean? The person you're with doesn't want you to be as quote unquote funny as uh, comedians, they just want you to be you, presumably. There's all, it's got to be really tough, though. Like, I see, you know, people will like, like I went to this party that was a masquerade party a couple yeah. weeks ago. Uh-huh. And it was for some management company, but it was mostly like sketch people at this party, all UCB guys and sure. stuff. And um, watching them, because people were wearing masks, so you couldn't tell really who people were. Yeah. And so you, you know, at a party, everyone's always looking to see who's there and who, yeah. who's oh, talking to who. Especially in LA. And, and when they figure out, that my wife isn't anybody you, you can just see like the shallowness oh, of yeah. like oh okay so it's not important that i really talk to her that's one of our worst things yeah. that's one of the worst things mm-hmm. that i've i've been guilty of as well in fact last night i met a guy named paul very nice guy and i was a little embarrassed that my interest shot up when he mentioned that he wrote for la weekly i would tell him this i'm not so ashamed was that the guy that you're talking to for a while yeah and I told him about the podcast and I hope he's listening to it. And yes, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I hope you like it and I hope you write it, write it up. But like, honestly, I'd like to say I showed each each of the people that I was talking to equal interest. Yeah. yeah. But it does flare up. When, and you were there. You petting. knew three people there. You know, know, and it was in a weird place. You, you guys were talking about how yeah. it was like out in the Verdugo bar. That's right. Which is, is like a. I don't know, warehouse area. It was it doesn't weird. matter. It was a weird area. It was a real blend. It was like a UCB crowd and like a I don't know how to put it. Nick's friends crowd. I, I was actually saying more like local. Oh yeah, um, 
Mexican guys? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> local, Mex- <laughs> local Mexican I am guys. trying. I'm really trying very hard not to be offensive. And I'm not registering mm-hmm. or taking the temperature of the bar or qu- qualifying it in mm-hmm. any way. But I was like, oh, this is like this is like a neighborhood. Like these, this is their neighborhood. And this is also like this. I'm wondering if they're thinking like, who are all these comedy nerds in this bar? Probably not. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I got to get out of my head. One person said something to me last night that I haven't been able to stop thinking about. Emily, Emily's uh, wife. Uh-huh. She said to me, Sometimes you worry me. Uh, yeah. Well, and, there is, and I have been able to stop thinking about what she meant by that. Yeah. Didn't somebody at the improv come up to you and say, are you okay? And you said, yeah. And he said, you don't look okay. Yeah. This was like maybe a two months ago. And I really was probably not okay. I mean, I don't know. Well, that, that has to be uh, telling. That, that's ringing a bell in the sense that uh, people that care about you are just like, hey, Nick, what's going on with you? <laughs> like, like, Why? There's red flags all around you. <laughs> well, let me, uh, one of the things that you said just recently that, that seemed interesting was that you're not honest with your therapists. Yeah, never have what's been. What's going but on there? The reason that that started was because I started seeing a therapist when I was 13 my my mom took me to a therapist that was also a family friend uh-huh that's and always good i just never believed that he wasn't i you know i didn't know i think there is a thing like you know patient confidentiality but i think yeah. when you're underage and your parents i think that there isn't such yeah, a thing. mad madman style yeah they just call at the end of the day and they're like yeah he's touching himself and once a month we would have to do an interview you know like my mom would come in and we would yeah. have like a family session but i just it just started there where I couldn't be honest with him and I've just never been. I saw one guy recently and I was, I laid everything out on the table in one session and at the end of it, and it's including religious problems and, yeah. and fears and all this stuff. And at the end of it, he goes, I just have to ask you, did you see me because you know that I'm a, a pastor of a church? Really? And you I didn't was know like, that? no, I had no idea. And I haven't seen him since because that scared me. Wow. I wouldn't want to see a Christian therapist. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know why. I mean, I think it just scared me because that would have meant that I would have had to answer more real questions to him rather than a therapist. that's not a, a Christian. Well, well, he's going to have judgments yeah. on your answers. Yeah. Whereas exactly. a, a non-Christian therapist is, is not going to care either way. Mm-hmm. In fact, they, it's probably the opposite. They'll have judgments on you if you're like, I, I believe that God yeah. doesn't want me to diddle myself yeah. or what have you. Well, that's interesting. So you're not honest with therapists, but we're talking pretty honestly right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at it. I think I've, you know, we talked, we talked a little bit last night when we were driving around about morals and just about guilt that comes with this religious upbringing well, that, that we have. And, yeah. That was and, the thing. And I think part of that was that, like, I, I feel guilt when I go in and I don't want to talk about yeah. you know, things I, that I struggle with that are petty or. Yep. There's posturing even in therapy. I posture to my mm-hmm. therapist. There, there are things that I'll tell him or like confess. And, and he, I think as people that Nick and I were both raised similarly, Christian, mm-hmm. uh, for those, I guess that's important. And like we're still kind of wired to posture and kind of like yeah. have a certain attitude of like, I did this. I never would do that, but I did it. You know, like that is not really me. You know, and I, I, I want my therapist to like me. I want him to think I'm funny. I told him this. I tell him that. I'm like... I hope at the end of the hour, you're like, Pete's one of my better patients. <laughs> I hope you quote me. I hope um, I'm uh, an unnamed uh, reference in one of your books. I had a great therapist for a while. Um, and then I stopped seeing him because I realized that he was also seeing Ray Liotta. Oh, yeah. Didn't you tell yeah, me that? I told you Yeah, that that's story. hilarious. But it was just, I, I, it just scared me away. Well, tell, tell people, I love that story. Well, I, I, this guy I was seeing was like living up in the hills, like in Beverly Glen, this super rich area in Beverly Hills. And you would go up to his house where he only lived for three days a week and then he lived in San Francisco the rest of the week and it was a mansion in the woods 
that had this long gravel driveway. And every time I got there, I was the only one there. And you go down and you <laughs> enter this like lower area where it's kind of like, you know, they've got like the sand raking things that you like sit yeah. there and the little weird. If it, if that were my therapist one day, I'd just be waiting for him to be like, we're not going to do therapy today. And then he just puts on like a safari hat and he goes, I'll be hunting you for sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Is it really? The one with uh, the deadliest Ice game. Tea. Huh? The one with Ice T? They did an, a remake of The Deadliest Game with Ice T? Yeah, the Ice T where he's like being chased out in the woods and it's like they, they he was a homeless person and they brand tests on him and they're like, oh, oh, that's like that's a pretty big reboot. That's great a cla- that's a classic story. Yeah. Is that a great movie? That I really does, like it. I it doesn't know. sound like a great movie. We got Night Shift and uh, Ice T running in the woods. I think I think I liked it when I was younger when I didn't know what good movies were. I understand. You know all the movies like oh, that that you Do you ever watch. miss those days? Yeah. Now I watch movies and I'm like, this is Judging. a piece of shit. I know it is and it is. That was me watching Friends this morning. In fact, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I one time said to uh Penny's dropped. That's what British people say when they drop a name. I was talking to Todd Barry and I said to him, I was like, I remember the movie I saw when I realized not all movies are good. Yeah. And Which it was one? Drop Dead Fred. I didn't you like, like it. Drop Dead I, Fred? I didn't like it when I, you know why? Well, I love Keaton. So I just kind of love everything. It's a telling tale. I went with my brother and my father and I could tell they didn't like it. Oh. And that ruined it for me. Yeah. I bet I would have loved it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But it, like, it, it was like a little too young for my brother. Maybe. I don't know. I was right on the cusp and I was like, I'm going to watch Drop Dead Friend. I'm going to love it. And I could feel my dad like sighing and my brother being like, this is stupid. And I was like, I felt guilt. Very- my dad likes things that like, I think it would be the opposite. I, I like less things than my dad likes. You like less things. That, oh, yeah. Like my dad can put up with a bad movie. You know, I envy my friends. I have some friends that are just mm-hmm. like, you know, Happy Feet. That was great. And I'm, just, I'm not saying Happy Feet wasn't great, but I would mm-hmm. never even give it a chance because it's called Happy Feet. Yeah. The, like Dana Gould has a best bit about that, like not liking stuff and watching it with people that like stuff, you yeah. know, like reality TV. It's a lonely feeling. I can't get into reality TV. People are telling me like Storage Wars. I love it. And I can't handle a show where they close up on someone's face at the act break and there's just that... Yeah, I I'm worked in reality like, TV, nope. so I know how fake it is. So it's exactly. so hard for me to watch. I and that's all I'm doing. Again, can't I, I got I, unable to shut the brain off, and I'm like, that eh, they probably manufactured that. That's fake. That's fake. Just fucking enjoy it, Pete. There's got to take a drug or something. I don't know. Should I finish the Ray Liotta story? Yeah, I want you to. I just I was like, wait a second. How do we get to where we are? Yeah, I know, and I got to bring it back to psychology of success because that's really interesting to me. And then we'll get into religion big time. The Ray Liotta one's so quick, but I pull up, and I'm, I was always the only one in the driveway, and there's another car and a guy getting out of a car ahead of me. And I think, that oh, that's weird. There's usually no one here. And so I didn't recognize him at that point. I park next to his car and go down in the waiting room, and I walk in, and in the room mm-hmm. is Ray Liotta just sitting there with like a pair of reading glasses on reading a magazine. Mm-hmm. He looks up at me. Like kind of drops his glasses. And it's a moment like that. I hope he's on the cover of that magazine. <laughs> oh, I like, wish. Let me say what's happening in Leotaville. <laughs> That's the name of the magazine. <laughs> Leotaville? Yeah. He just has his own co- yeah, it's, it, co- <laughs> it's quarterly. It's quarterly. <laughs> he, he pays a friend a grand just to design a magazine yeah. for him. I want my own magazine. I don't know why I'm making him talk and about he puts it. And he puts it in his, in his doctor's office. <laughs> in the waiting room. Or he says like... I'm going to forget that we had this conversation. I, I want to believe that it's just there. And he's that good. Huh. Let's see. What am I up to? That's what he said. <laughs> there's an article called Ray Liotta currently reading this in waiting room. It's a photo of him it's reading. It's a picture it. of him. Uh, well, we just oh, got very Ray. meta. I, I really enjoyed that, though. Ray so, Liotta. Liotta's there. Sitting there. And I sit down. And then after about a minute, he looks at me and he goes, what time's your appointment? I'm like 2.30. And he goes, he fucking double booked us. Oh, shit. And, and so we like get to know each other for a second. He goes, you're married. Looks at my ring. And he goes, let's do this. When he comes out, I'm going to pretend like I'm really mad and try and walk out. You stop me. 
and then I'm going to give the meeting session to you or whatever. Uh-huh. So the doctor comes out. Now I'm like in a scene with Ray Liotta. <laughs> he, he gives you a sign. The doctor comes out and he goes, and he goes, what the fuck? Did you fucking double book us? And the doctor's all confused. And he goes, I'm fucking out of here. And he gets up to walk away. And I go, Ray, 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 you can have it, man. You need it more than I do. And he goes, no, you're married. You need it more than I do. And then he just walked out. Oh, and the shit. doctor looked at me like, huh? And I go, I'm sorry. And he... That was a thing. Oh, you told him? I would tell him. It's the only time I've ever been honest with a guy. <laughs> that's insane. I, and that in that moment, I thought maybe that would be you would continue to lie. As, I wish. You I to, wish. To I, therapist. I was. I felt guilty, though. I felt guilty for lying in that situation. Well, you know, it's interesting. We talked. Jesselnik was the last episode and we talked about this weird kind of thing where and, and as I as I know that you grew up religious and I grew up uh, religious. But when I'm on stage, it's the only time that I can kind of feel every emotion. You know what I mean? It's like off stage, I really am still parts of me are still a little boy trying to be good and trying to be like, you know, for, habit, uh, habitualize myself to be good and kind and nice and all these uh, Christian values, which are fine and good. Uh, but it's not necessarily who I am all mm-hmm. the time. That's not how I feel. Mm-hmm. I don't always feel like, howdy, neighbor. Yeah. some cornbread, which is part of the problem like a lot of people have with church because there is an element of phoniness. We're almost like called to be phony. <laughs> yeah, there, it's I mean, going into church on a Sunday and watching people, you know, it's always it's it's just like this industry, too, where you ask somebody what they're up to and they feel like, oh, I've got to now say all these great things that I'm up to. Right. Just so this person thinks that I'm OK. Right. I mean, yeah. Maybe that's just no. Sure. Maybe that's not normal. No, it's just me. I hate that. I hate what are, what are you up to or whatever? It, it's a, I stop it's a giving answers. Question. I just say I've been on the road. Yeah, there you go. Well, let's let, let's let's. Which to me seems not cool, but I think to people that aren't on the road, they're like, "Oh man." The road is one of those things when you're not traveling, when you're not touring around, you kind of think about like it would be great to like eat at a Chick Fil A in Boise. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, there's a romance to it. There's like a no laws, no rules. You can just kind of like, I love driving. Oh, I'd alone. be riding so much more if I was out in the road. Ah, you know, like those. I think people have those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know, I have had some of the better thoughts of my life driving across South Dakota. For some reason, I had like four or five schools in South Dakota, and like just driving alone, you start to lose your mind. I've and never done that tour. I've never done a tour of driving i just fly this everywhere. was i wouldn't even call this a tour because like a tour makes me feel like i'm in a bus with other comedians which we, we've also mm-hmm. done but it's like being alone in like a kia sorrento you know what i mean a rented kia and you're driving on this like flat sprawling you've done the south dakota south run? dakota run wow yeah, let's call it that two states i haven't been in north dakota south dakota really yeah yeah they're all right in nebraska south dakota i went to see uh mount rushmore and stuff went alone it was weird but that's where i thought of like uh have you ever seen my ray romano sings video mm-hmm. that's where i thought of that like people are like when when where do you come up with that idea or one person might have said that to me. <laughs> maybe, maybe my mom asked me that and the, and the truth is is like you're driving so long in south dakota and you're alone and uh i would you just start singing like ray romano to the to the radio and then you're like maybe that's something and then you have five other insane ideas that are nothing mm-hmm. but like so i i do kind of miss that like forced solitude of the road i i i romanticize about it too and that's the one thing now that i'm married that it makes me sad actually that i don't have those feelings of when i was single i could find myself feeling very sorry for myself and then like <laughs> sucking in a moment of listening to a song and then feeling like I'm the only one, no one's on my side, and here I am. And now that I'm married, I never get that feeling anymore, which... Do you kind of miss it? I do. I miss it a lot. I, yeah. And I love my wife and love being married. No, no, no. Even I think even I'm, negative emotions have an appeal. Depression yeah. and stuff, there, there's kind of like a coziness to it. I miss that because it makes me scramble and makes me feel like, oh, now I've got something to work for to prove to everybody that... I, 
or to prove to myself. Well, let's just jump ahead. I, I had dinner with your wife a couple nights ago. Yeah, he did a pre-interview. That sounds like a joke. It, it wasn't for this. It wasn't for this. It's because we're chums. And I asked her. She Actually, she offered. I, I wasn't like, what should I ask Nick? But I told her that you were going to be on the show. And she was like, uh, two things that were interesting. One, and we can talk about them in whichever order you prefer. She mentioned that you're not one of those guys that thinks you're going to be fine. Like, you don't have that certainty of like, I have passed the point of like, is this going to work out sort of thing? So mm-hmm. you, you've re, you've re, retained that uh, tenacity where you're like, I know I still have to prove it. So I think you like that feeling. Yeah, I Apparently do. you're talking mm-hmm. about it in relationships and missing it. So you probably enjoy that in your career. And then I'm also supposed to ask you, you married a, a somewhat unsupportive woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. She, you know what? She, she, uh, she talks low about herself. I want to read an email she sent me this last week, actually, that made me tear up a little bit and realize why I love her so much. But um, I so I did a talk show this week um, and I did a talk show at UCB that was. Yeah, this was the night we had dinner, the night, the night you guys had dinner. But so basically I got a call eight days beforehand saying, hey, there's an open slot at UCB. And I said, book, book me for it. and I'm going to do a, a live talk show. And then I wrote, started writing it, producing it, everything. And it was a big production that I went over and spent too much money, filmed it, thinking I was going to have a, a TV ready version to sell, yeah. which I didn't, but still went good. And I was kind of bummed out that night because it didn't, not everything clicked, which how could it in that many days? Right. And I sent an email out to all my friends that came just very saying, thank you so much for coming. And I, you know, almost like an Oscar thank you speech, like not, yeah. not in the way of like, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm the best. It was like, I want to thank you guys for just being great friends. Right. And then I said, and I'm sorry, you know, the show's going to get better. And then Suzanne sent me this email just to me that said, you did great and you should be proud. Never be apologetic for stepping out and taking a risk. That is how great things are made. I love you. Oh. And that, and that to me was like, that so- was a sincere, huh? Yeah. I want you to know that. <laughs> no, but, it always sounds fake. And I, and I got it and, you know, and it, yeah, it was an email and, and she says stuff like that to me every now and again too in person. But to get that, it just was like, oh my gosh, that. Right. Because it was a risk. It wasn't me going on stage and doing stand up. I was stuck on stage for an hour with no, I told myself no jokes for my stand up, nothing. It's yeah. all got to be fresh. Yeah. And um, it was a risk, you know, and it didn't fully hit. Right. And that's what bummed me out. But, and then, and then she understood that. Yeah. But it, the thing that I said to you last night was that I was like, I think it's interesting that there's probably a side of you that is like bo- boldly confident that you're like, I'm going to remake Night Shift or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a part of you that's very hard on yourself. And then you married somebody that is also those. Yeah. Things. She sees, she believes in you, but then she can also be realistic with you. Or, or I don't even know the right. She word. also, she also took me down before the talk show because my original idea was a talk show where I bring out guests and only talk about myself. <laughs> and like get them to you know like ask some questions like so what's it like being friends with me and and it ended up not obviously it wouldn't work for a whole talk show yeah but she knew that was my original idea and at one point she said I don't think that's a good idea <laughs> and I don't think you could do a whole show See, on it and I remember saying to her like how could you say that to me yeah. don't and then and then I want to get on my high horse and just say like hey you're my wife you don't tell me what works and doesn't work on stage okay you know and like yeah. you, you want to get to a place like that and then you're like well she was right. She and, was right. And it was my pride that got in the way there. And, and I and I didn't take it from her well. I got mad at her for what she's for, hmm. t- for saying that to me. And also, she probably that voice that she's representing is a voice that you have in your own head already. Yeah, you it's already there. I already knew. I one of the things that I think propels uh, standups uh, forward. And actually, Jessalyn Lake and I talked about this last week off air, which was a shame. But we were talking about like there's kind of something masochistic about the abuse that we take and stuff. But it's also incredibly motivating people are like 
how uh, did you, I'm not talking about me or you, I'm just saying you could say to a comedian, how did you shoot up so quickly or how did you grow so quickly or whatever? It's because the alternative is excruciating pain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Either you'll quit and you'll die or you'll thrive. Like, or, you know, there are people that are exceptions to that rule and you just see them time uh, for a long time and they don't really go anywhere. But like you take it personal. If mm-hmm. your show doesn't go well, it burns inside of you. You're going to lose sleep. You're going to feel ill. And people come, you know, like just a guy that works for Ben Stiller came and like, you know, and these right. people and you're like, oh, shoot, they saw me not nail it. Right. You know, and and as and that's painful. And as a stand up, you're used to nailing it because you're going up and just doing I mean, well, that, not you're not used to nailing it, but I mean, you get used to doing that's well. what Billy Crystal said about hosting the Oscars. He was like, you know, in your back pocket, you have your act and you could kill you could throw this into overdrive, yeah. but you have to do jokes about the movies that have been nominated. Yeah. So that's probably to. how you felt. Yeah, it's exactly how I felt. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, go on. No, I'm just saying I had some writers come to the show and they were like, you know, you definitely need to add stand up in there. You need to bring you need to come out and start off with stand up. Yeah. And and go. And I thought it was a great note. and I'm going to use it. And, yeah, sure. But, but you're, so your wife is. See, I'm, I'm always interested in uh, I, I think I'm going to branch it out. It's not just who is right for comedians or actors or whatever, just who's right for anybody. Mm-hmm. And you seem to have found somebody that uh, doesn't just love you. I, I, I was talking to somebody recently where it's like you couldn't marry a fan like somebody that's just like super nick thuned out if you and you have weird fans we've done like bumper shoot and stuff and that's your hometown right yeah so we're in your hometown and people are like extra excited to see you you wore like a fucking awesome white suit <laughs> yeah girls are going crazy and i was like you know you couldn't you could not date one of those people no it wouldn't work because they want your persona and it wouldn't whatever. be fun yeah and it and, and it gets there and i don't even know if if i think about it i don't even know if my wife if we weren't married, I don't think that she would be like, I want to watch this guy stand up. I mean, she I think she it's thinks so the things funny. that I do are funny. Yeah. You know, and, and some and I make her laugh all the time. This actually reminds me of my ex-wife. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to curse you my or anything. Ex-wife yeah. your ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember. I that's remember, why I divorced that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was a deal breaker. That wasn't a deal breaker. There was kind of a freedom in her disinterest. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, I could uh, perform and people always used to make a joke that does she really exist because she didn't really go to shows and stuff. But I kind of liked that. I was like, and it allowed me to like just not worry about her or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm very, I, especially back then I was even more codependent. So I'd be like, how are you enjoying the show? Are you okay? So I would just go out and be myself. But, uh, you know, it sounds, it sounds like you're, so my, now it's a requirement that any girl that I was with would think I would, they have to think I'm funny and I kind of have to think they're funny. Yeah. Well, I don't, I know that my wife thinks I'm funny. Um, but I think that she's so on the inside that when she sees me on stage, it's, you know, it's just a performance. So, it, yeah. you know, but like watching the talk show, I, I was watching her in the audience and she was so proud Yeah, and to see my, I w- I'd rather have my wife be proud of me yeah. than think I'm funny. Well, she was pretty drunk. Yeah. I mean, she, <laughs> she had a lot to drink. <laughs> <at that dinner>. <laughs> <laughs> so it might not have been proud as much as like, kind of like a pre pass out kind well, of. Well, also what she knew too, is my dad, this was the coolest thing of my life actually. When not, I mean. I've never been surprised. Like no one's ever thrown me a surprise birthday party or ever done anything that great for me. And like, I mean, people do, my wife does great things for me, but my dad, <laughs> every time you say my wife, I think of Borat going, my wife, and it's making me laugh. <laughs> like, I think Kumail is making that point that I think that's coming back. Like my wife? It, it left. Yeah. And now I think, it's I think back. it's coming back now as like a joke, as a, a joke. joke on a joke. My wife, every time, <laughs> every time you say my wife, I'm so sorry. No, I just I, didn't want you to think I was laughing at you. I, I, my dad, 
on the way to the show, my parents live in Seattle, and I did the show this last Thursday, my the first talk show, and now it's a monthly show. But I, on the way there with the guy that wrote it with me, I said, you know, I just wish that my dad could see this tonight. Mm-hmm. And we get there, the show happens. I come off stage, I'm backstage, and in from the door walks my dad. Wow. He went to the airport that morning and just said, I want to fly to LA. And he came to see my show, flew out the next morning. Are you kidding? That's amazing. And it was like, I cried. I, he walked backstage and I saw him and I just started crying. And it no. was and like, I seriously like went back to the bathroom at UCB and took a few minutes and tried to, I didn't want to be like the crybaby in front of everybody, but, oh, but why? it, it so crushed nice. me. I mean, it was just, yeah. And I had so many friends helping with, I mean, it was just a big night for me, but to have my dad come was like, wow. That's such a big deal. Yeah, it was huge. It felt great. It felt really good. That is amazing. I've never, I, I, this often comes up on the show is that the dads of creative people are often uninvolved. Mm-hmm. Your dad is a fan. Oh, he's my biggest fan. Mm-hmm. I, I, I say it many times on the show. It's like, I, you want people to listen, you know, to you. And, and like, I don't think it's cheap. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed about. Like, yeah, it feels nice to, to be up there and, and tell jokes and have them affirmed and stuff and kind of get that uh, teat to mouth sort of stuff. Well, and especially in like last night, I was out at dinner, the dinner pre before I picked you up. Pre-din. With a group of people for this birthday. And there's a girl I didn't know sitting next to me. It turns out she lives in Brooklyn. Yeah. And I go, oh, yeah, I, I actually perform in Brooklyn a lot. I have, a, you know, do a lot of shows there. And she goes, where? And then right as she says that, she turns... And is grabbing something, and I go Brooklyn Hall of Music, mm-hmm. and then she kind of comes back, and I could tell that she didn't hear what I said. And I yeah. go, I go Brooklyn Hall of Music, and she goes, "Yeah, I heard you." Oh, and I God. and I remember thinking like, "Oh, maybe I reset it because I was kind of bragging." Yeah. And then she wasn't; she didn't really care about the brag, and she yeah. also saw that I was bragging, and oh. I just felt like the worst. But it's that thing of wanting people to listen to you. I think everybody wants that, though. Yeah. I mean, like in any job, if you're an architect, you want people to love your building and stuff. The more, the older I get, though, I do try and look for that affirmation from within and be mm-hmm. like, I'm a fan of what I do. You know what I mean? And I, I know you're a fan of your own work, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, like if you were in your own crowd, forget your wife, and maybe this is what you do, you would be a fan of it. You would enjoy it. Yeah, I, I like to think that. I You'd mean, be like, this guy's doing something that I, that I would like to see. <laughs> yeah, I would I love think to see that guy. That's the biggest, that's the biggest thing. I would love to do that guy. That's all you got to do. Yeah. I think, and that's what I'm learning later as I become less codependent, as I become less a child of kind of like a weird uh, family and upbringing and, and sort of kind of like trying to control people's feelings and caring so much about what other people are feeling. Now, as I, you know, I'm 32. I'm just kind of like, no, I, I like what I'm doing mm-hmm. and that'll be okay. And then that makes like a negative YouTube comment sting a little less. Oof. Oof. Yeah. People must hate you because you're very specific. I, yeah. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. It's not underhanded. I'm just saying. No. Yeah. Sometimes there's, broad, there's people that can be very against me, but that's, I, I've, I've actually found that that's either jealousy or, yeah. um, or that's what I make it think in my head. But that's so funny. I go to that too. It's, it's, it's either jealousy or it's just like, I just don't like that guy. Yeah. I don't like him from what I'm seeing. Whereas I think if most people met me, they'd be like, oh, wow, he's just like, Right. Normal laid back guy. I always have that thought too. I, I wonder if you have this fantasy where it's like someone will be like, Pete, I'm a piece of shit. It's like, piece of, what fucking stupid. I hate him so much. I'm like, if we spent like a, a weekend together, I bet we'd be friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I have this weird, well, like win them over. You and I could win over, but that's our goal. I think both of us have that as a thing where we just right. want to win people over. Right. We were talking about this about uh, a mutual friend of ours. We were just like, I just want to know that they like me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I feel the same way. It's just, you, it, it stings in me. Oh, that's right. I like people who like me. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the one, something that's attractive to me. 
And that's I, I find that I like people that don't like me I, in the sense I of also like, like people that don't. Oh, like me. Yeah. Oh god. I, I, now I feel like okay, so they're not buying this like charade that I'm doing. So now I have. Yeah. To, <laughs> that's why I'm good friends with now Chelsea. I want to expose them. I, oh yeah, Chelsea's the one thing because man, she can tear you down and 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 she when you're friends with her, it's such a great thing because yeah. you know she'll send me a text every now and again like I haven't seen you forever. Yeah. Um, you this know. is Chelsea Peretti, by the way. She's episode whatever four or five. But you see when she doesn't like something and you're like, oh, yeah, would not want to be on that end. And, you know, I think that that's the the goal is like trying to be who we really are. I know that sounds silly, but like I'd really like to be somebody that is like when I run something by Pete, I know I'm going to get the the true answer, not necessarily the nice answer or like some padded truth or whatever. People like Chelsea, people like Neil Brennan, who also did the show, uh, people like Doug Benson, they just shoot straight. You say it to them and like, mm-hmm. and they just kind of do it, and then you love them for it. I can't always tell how Neil feels about me. That's not true. Is that true? Yeah. Sometimes I think he likes me, and other times I think he looks at me like, oh, "Come on, man." Yeah, I guess that could be. But I think it, you know, then he'll like ask me to do a show, and I'm like, "Oh, he likes me," you know? Yeah, probably. I never auditioned for his movie. You know what's funny? He doesn't like me. You 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 could you could ask him. He would tell you. He'd tell you point blank. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Uh, let's talk. So you shot up. This goes actually way back to the psychology of success because that's again just something that's so interesting to me. You shot up pretty quickly. That's something I said to you uh, last night. Yeah, you said you want to talk about. Yeah, that I wanted to talk about because you put together. I'm going to tell your story as I remember it. Then you correct it. Is that you uh, put together an act and you started performing it and then you got Aspen and then you were like a sensation at Aspen. Aspen's a comedy festival mm-hmm. and then like since then you've kind of been growing exponentially. Is like more uh, pilot shows, deals, uh, you know, touring as a stand-up, putting out your albums, selling tickets, all that sort of stuff. Happened within a pretty brief amount of time. How many years? It happened in a brief amount of time that I was in L.A., but it was building for a while because when I was up in Seattle, I was performing. And I wasn't just excluding it to stand-up. I mean, I wasn't just doing stand-up. I was yeah. performing at bars. I had a cover band. I was I was DJing and emceeing weddings and bar mitzvahs for five years. Right. Which got me a stage presence that I don't think you can get at doing stand up because you're going up and you're actually realizing that you are the worst person. Yeah. <laughs> you are a wed- you're a wedding DJ. You're a bar mitzvah DJ. You're an idiot. Nobody yeah. even wants to look at you because all of them suck. Yeah. And then my goal was to get a tip. And so to get that tip, my goal was to be the most likable person in the room and to win everybody over. Just yeah. like with stand up is you want to. I mean, no, actually, it's not for me. No, I understand. What Some you people say, oh, they don't, I don't want to be likable. Like, I don't know, Doug Stanhope or Mark Maron, where it's like, I'm, I'm not going up there to be likable. I'm going up there, you know, to right. do my thing. But I'm going up there. I want, I want to be likable and, and relatable to people. Um, and then surprise people, you know, with, right. with thoughts. Right. <laughs> but doing that, I'm seeing weddings. I mean, it was going up and just, it's like, okay, I've still got to play shout and we are family, but I'm going <laughs> to say funny stuff, but gaining that stage presence and then doing the, the cover band. And then going out and doing my own performances at, at like poetry open mics. And then I moved to L.A. and I did about 600 sets in one year at open mics. Right. And and in those 600 sets, I built, you know, a half hour of material. Right. That I, I came to L.A. with maybe 10 and then got Aspen, just stopped doing one set at the improv. But that was like the... It, it did, you did, you had your overnight. What I did that most people don't do is I stayed under the radar. Right. People come down to town. They go, I just want to get up at the improv. I just want to get up at the Laugh Factory. And I was told before I came down here the best advice that I could have ever gotten. And the only person I sook, seek advice from or suck or whatever. Sought. Sought. The only person I sought advice from. Or we edit all that other stuff out? Yeah, yeah. We we <laughs> yeah, you didn't even have to ask. We'll take I'm care of that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, uh, but who? 
this woman, an acting coach in Seattle, I saw her once and she just said, um, don't, don't want to, don't try and be seen until you're ready. Like stay under the radar. And so I did that. I did all these sets at terrible poetry and music open mics. Yep. Eventually started doing comedy and then got asked to do a set at the improv and got to a place to where I was ready to be seen mm-hmm. rather than people seeing me early on and yep. being like, Oh, there's something there. It was like, I was ready to be managed. Right. And it just, and and then it created this feeding frenzy because, you know, managers and agents, it's all about just like any business. It's like people were mad that they didn't know about me. Right. Like I heard about assistants getting in trouble specifically for my manager. He got he got really mad at his assistant because he had never been told about me. Right. And the assistant was like, nobody knew. Yeah. Nobody knew about it. That's him. really cool. Yeah. So it was like this thing of just a surprise. And then it was like people wanted to win me because they're all trying to win. You know, those managers and agents are just trying. And so it was that that buzz yeah, always smart. You you became the new can of Coke. You know what I mean? You, yeah. For you, a second. Yeah. And then you capitalized on it. Yeah. Because people get that for a second. Then it goes down. And and uh, I, you know, I, I, I've dropped the ball on a few things. And then that, but that's what everybody does. Sure. You know, well, when you were putting it together, let me ask you this. The question is, did you see it for yourself when you got it in your mind that weird day when you're like, I think I'm going to be a comedian. Did it make sense to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were just kind of like, I get it. Yeah, but I didn't know it was comedy. I just wanted to entertain people. And so I didn't know that it was stand-up comedy because kind of Jerry Seinfeld and stuff like that was my view of stand-up. And I yeah. thought, oh, I'm not that. Yeah. But then I saw Mitch Hedberg. And when the, the first time I saw Mitch Hedberg, I said, okay. Right. That's some. That's like a... This guy's not doing stand-up. He's doing something else. Right. You know, and, yeah, that's, he, and that's what I wanted to do. He's uh, tweeting. <laughs> he's doing live, he's doing live tweets before Twitter happened, yeah. which is true. I mean, he was he was doing a form of tweeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we said again that that came up on Chelsea's podcast, and I was like, "Oh man, Mitch would have been great at Twitter." And then and then I went, "Miss you, Mitch." <laughs> and it was so sad and sincere, and she made fun of me for like twenty minutes. It is sad though. I did um, I did a show a, a show where he, his release CD release show at the improv and they just were like, Hey, we want to got one guy on the show. That's not friends with him. That just was influenced by him. And they, and they asked me to do it. And I met his dad after the show. And yeah. it was just like, it was a really weird, really surreal experience, you know? But I mean, I think that he, I still listen to his stand up, and he, he was more than a one liner comedian. Oh, he, absolutely. Yeah. He created things that uh, his persona was huge. Actually, mm-hmm. that's, that's what people kind of lose in Twitter is the idea of a persona. Mm-hmm. You, Dimitri Hedberg, all have these really right on the epidermis personas and you get them, especially Hedberg. And in the sense, you know, he's got the sunglasses and the hair over his face and you're like, Oh, I get it. And now things are funnier because you know who he is rather than just a guy reading his tweets. I I would never minimalize him to say he's just a guy reading tweets. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Talking about entertaining. And we, we got to get into this for sure is that uh, our friend Josh Lieb said of me, he was like, this is the only reality there are millions of universes, and they're each slightly different from the last. And this is the only one in which I'm not a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you and I have said that about each other, is that you and I were actually, both of us, on a path, a path to, yeah. to becoming youth pastors. Mm-hmm. And I can totally see it for you, and I can totally see it for me. And this is just the one reality where that didn't happen, and here we it's are It's crazy it didn't similar. happen, to be honest, for me. I mean, I was working at the Boys and Girls Club for five years, and using that as it in a way to bring kids to my church not like i was some creepy guy that's like oh i'm gonna get these kids in my church but yeah kids would get to know me and they'd be like what else is there what else? Yeah. there's something about you and then i'd say oh i go to this church and then they'd come to my church right 
you know, and it was like this. You'd poach them from the boys. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I started. There's I, some kids you don't want. Oh, don't take snot nose Larry. <laughs> Fuck snot nose Larry. Yeah. Ugh, nobody wants Jeff. He smells like uh, fart sweatpants. I actually one time farted in a van. I was driving with a whole bunch of teenagers to a. That's oh. the best van to fart in. Well, I, I was driving kids to a skate park in Seattle and it was raining outside and I farted and I actually shit my pants. Okay. And it's the, we right, right as we're getting on a freeway for 15 minutes of there's nowhere to go to the bat, you know? <laughs> oh, and God. so this, the, the, the smell was so bad. Oh God. And one of the guys brought his younger brother, Jeff and Jeff was the guy that <laughs> had a speech impediment to where like, if he wants to play the winner of a pool game, he'd be like, I've got winnow. 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 I play Winnow. Oh, that's Aww. wheeled. You know, and he talks like, and he has a list. Like a he's, toddler. He's, he's a little younger. He's a, he's a little younger than everybody. And everybody smelt the smell in the van. And this one kid goes, oh, Jeff. <laughs> and, then, and, then I, and I roll the window and I go, come on, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone <laughs> believes it's Jeff. And then I got, we got to the skate park. I, I run inside and I go, I need to use a bathroom. Where's the bathroom? And they go, oh, the bathroom's out of order. There's a porta potty outside. And so oh, basically, great. I was outside, just done. <laughs> I ditched my my boxer shorts and the porta potty. Oh, sure, of course. <laughs> and then you and then you got everybody. And you're like, did you see Jeff's fucking boxer shorts in that porta potty? <laughs> that kid wears huge grown man He's boxer shorts. Boxers. <laughs> you fucking weirdo. You're the weirdest person in the world. So here we are, not youth pastors, but with the with the same uh, skill sets. Both of us yeah. can play guitar. Both of us like talking in front of people, and both of us like uh, kids. I, I enjoy the youth of today. I do. I like. I, I. I feel bad that I don't work with kids as much anymore. Yeah, I'm always trying to write something for myself. Where, like Bill Cosby, sort of like I like acting with children. I think it's mm-hmm. very, very funny. They often don't know they're acting. Well, I do things like I went into the Boys and Girls Club in Hollywood and said I want to volunteer. They gave me a tour. I filled out all the paperwork, and then never got back to them. It's probably your fucking beard, you weirdo. <laughs> no, I never got back to them. They were stoked. They still. Oh, you didn't shows. get back to them? Yeah, I just oh, I'm dropped sorry, the ball. I misheard you. I dropped the ball, and and it's it's just a, it's stupid. I should be, and I do that all the time. Like I yeah, called I, up, I called up the Boys and Girls Club last holiday, and I go, I want to do a thing where I raise money for Christmas presents for kids that don't do it. Right. And then the lady said, "Okay, do you want to just put that in an email and send it to me?" And I go, "Do you not?" I, I wanted to be like. I want to do a show and raise yeah, yeah, money. Yeah. yeah. Google me. Like, yeah, I wanted, yeah, and then I got yeah. angry and got you on were, a high horse. It's so funny. You went from being kind, yeah. right? The shower just goes cold right there. And you're like, fuck you. I'm in show business. And then I, I, and then I felt terrible about that and then felt like I can't call her back now because now I'm the asshole. No, I think, I think we're redeeming you right here. And I think we're going to call them on the air. Katie, do we have an open line? <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't even want you to do that. <laughs> you're drinking a bottle of vodka that's on the table. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, here's what's weird is, is, uh, when I heard you on Marin's podcast is I was very interested that you remain a Christian. And even now that we're friends, I didn't know that about you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I don't even know how to classify myself other than I was raised a Christian. Now I'm actually quite turned off by it. I'm going to be honest with you. I was talking to my mom today. I, I call home on Sundays from time to time and I was talking to her and uh, she made some joke about uh, us coming from fish, you know, an evolutionary, uh, an evolution joke. And then she was like, uh, please don't tell me you believe that, meaning believe evolution. And I just, it wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel bad or threatened or anything. I just felt disinterested. I spent so much of my youth being like, God created the earth in seven days. But what is a day? You know, if he's if he's outside of time, maybe a day is ten thousand years. Maybe maybe uh, the idea, it got uh, the story of Genesis isn't. Mm-hmm. 
how God created the world. It's that God created the world. That's the point. And I've had all these debates and I've gotten into it and been talking about like we're creationism, evolution. And I'm just kind of like, I, I just don't even, I don't, I don't even care. I don't even want to engage my mom on this topic. I'm just kind of like science seems to think that we evolved from, uh, from, you know, uh, protoplasm and all that sort of stuff. That sounds about right to me. Science has been wrong before. I don't really care. Uh, but like, I, I don't think it was, you know, God just shazamming, uh, men, women, and two of every, you know, every animal. I, uh, I have a hard time believing that too. I, and you said that I, I consider myself a Christian. I'm, I do believe in God. Right. But it's, I didn't mean to put some, words in your mouth. You're no, probably more no. like me when we yeah, talk. Yeah, I question. And, and, but then at the same time, I, sometimes I hear things are, I don't know if I believe in God and I, and I don't think a Christian would look at my life and say that guy's a Christian. We were just talking about this, actually your wife and, and your friend Rachel, we were talking mm-hmm. about this. I was like, I believe in a God big enough that uh, I can be like, I don't know if there is a God. And I, my, my whole life, I've been terrified of even articulating that in my head, yeah. just allowing myself to consider it. You know what I mean? I think of my belief, my religion as a room and all my beliefs are different pieces of furniture. And after my divorce and stuff, I was kind of forced to reassemble the room. You know what I mean? Because God wasn't just this slot machine that kept granting me wishes. Suddenly I was in some pain and I had to move, rearrange the living room. And then at one point I realized I want to take all the furniture out of this room because the best way to redecorate is to start from nothing. Mm -hmm. So I allowed myself to be an atheist for an afternoon and it was terrifying. I was afraid the earth might fall out of the sky. You know what I mean? And I was like, I'm going to take all the furniture out and I'm going to believe in a God that's big enough that how, who is this idea of a God that's upset if you're like, I'm with the brain that you've given me. I'm not sure if, if you're real, if he's, you know, I think God's so big that he can handle that. He could handle anything I could say. It scares me to think about not believing in God. Yeah. It actually scared me while I was talking just then. It's, it is a scary (laughs) thing because I, I like that hope, you know, and I, and I think that's probably what makes me cling onto it the most these days. Yeah. But I also feel guilty about my, about my decisions and, and, um, I, I, I don't know my, my life that I live now is so different than my life that I lived before when it comes to my, my career and, mm-hmm. and, and everything. But when I was living in Seattle, my life was fully focused on church hmm. and it was focused on working with kids. And, and now that that's not there, it's, I, I think what, what is it? Was it working with kids that caused me to believe in God or, you know, I, yeah. such a weird such a weird train of events that brings you to what you believe in. Yeah. But I remember when I accepted God in my heart, it felt like the most real thing in my life. Really? Like it, it felt like the biggest moment of my life ever. Uh-huh. And it, and everything in one moment became comfortable. It's funny that you say that because I was always, I've never said this. I don't think I've always, I was always disappointed. And I was one of those kids that like, would reaccept Jesus. Yeah. Kept waiting for it to feel different. Mm-hmm. Kept waiting for it to kind of like fill my limbs with light and all that sort of stuff. And it always kind of felt like I was one of those kids that really wanted to speak in tongues, for example. Oh, I, yeah. I wanted proof. See, I wanted that something stuff to always like, scared me. The I wanted, tongues. I want. I wanted something to overtake me and just like be like, oh, God is real, which is which is some weak shit. That's mm-hmm. some weak faith. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, and but like when I accepted God in my heart and when I was baptized and all that sort of stuff, it always just kind of felt like. I'm the same guy. I'm still this guy. And 
don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. I enjoyed the idea of being in cahoots with the creator of Earth. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering how much of that was like my imaginary friend that I called God. What, yeah, what? I accepted God when I was seven, actually, the first time with my aunt, which I don't really remember. My aunt always retells me the story. But I really accepted God in my, I, I believe, when I was like 17 yeah. at this church camp in Northern California. And you remember it. Yeah. Oh, I remember the whole thing. And I remember the two people I was with and my the other guy accepted God with me. And then the other guy was like a leader that was just hanging out with us. And, and it was, you know, a great, great moment. And it actually turned my life around into a great place. And hmm. But I have a lot of things after that. I found myself being disappointed. Like, is this just feeling just wanting to feel something that I'm, you know, at church and you're singing and it's like, oh, all these things are happening and it's creating these great feelings in me. Mm-hmm. Is it really God? Is it just the music? Well, that, that's and, interesting. And the, the guy that's a really good speaker, and you know these things. I was I was in a gospel choir in college, and I remember at the time some of my friends were starting to drink, and I went to a Christian college, and I remember we did some number, and the crowd is applauding, and I felt like ecstasy. I felt wonderful that we had nailed the song, and we were. It's so funny to think of mm-hmm. myself in gospel choir, but anyway, we nailed the song, and I remember thinking like, who I needs alcohol you when you, when you feel this way? And mm-hmm. then I'm like, Pete, you were experiencing scientific reactions, chemical reactions, adrenaline. Singing uh, with a group of people. Singing with a group of people, like the the movement, the clapping, harmonizing, hearing it, being a part of it, and in front of a packed house. You know what I mean? And then I was like, that's God. And then when I, you know, I don't go anymore, but when I do go to church, music still stirs me. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And we're singing words and ideas that I'd like to believe. And then we're singing a lot of words and ideas that I don't believe and that offend me. That actually bothers me quite a bit. But like you're stirred by it. And I'm like, I'd also be stirred by a pretty uh, moving, well-written song about, you know, uh, Apple Jacks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if, if it was done right and there are candles, fuck yeah. I'm going to get some tingles. It's that, especially if you're sharing it with other people. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're missing. You know, what's funny is like uh, I... I <laughs> If you're in a group of people, like things like what, what we would go to, like church retreats, mm-hmm. if you and me and a bunch of atheist, hedonistic uh, comedians all rented the same space that these churches rent out, like Pilgrim Pines, you know what I mean? And we drove up there in a bus, we'd have a spiritual experience. Like yeah. the community of it would, would move us. But we'd probably be drinking. Yeah. You know, know, it, would be, it would be a bit different. Of course it would be different, <laughs> but like there's something about being with yeah, people. Yeah, no, being with people in an area like that. And then you yeah. have that feeling... And then you call it God. And other people just have that feeling and they call it, you know, the Staples Center. And Bono is singing. I miss, I, <laughs> I haven't been to church maybe for, and I, I, I usually try and, especially if I see people that I know that go to church, make it seem not like it's been this long, but yeah. I haven't been to church for over a year. Yeah. And that, I miss that feeling, but at the same time, I, I've just been, I moved away from it. And I think I'm in a place where I'm doubting and not believing and, and uh, every time I do go to church, though, it for a second re- real, remembers like, oh, my gosh, the, the, it's people uniting under one thing is just yeah, can create a, a great feeling. Yeah, I'm sure people at gun shows are like, yeah, it's nice to be with all these people that are into guns. You know, I'm sure there's like any sense of community. I actually I was talking to your wife about this uh, uh, where it was like. I never could imagine a reality where I didn't have to go to church and I didn't want to go because it upsets me. Like, I don't like the, uh, the closed bookedness of it all where it's like, these are the answers. What's God? This is God. What happens when you die? This is what happens when we die. I want to have a dialogue. I want to have a discussion. I'd love the Bible to be a part of it. I'd love your beliefs to be a part of it, but I want to banter and talk about it. So going to a place where everybody's just kind of like, that's what it is. Gay marriage is wrong. The end or whatever it is. 
I, it, it fills me with heat and upset. And I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. And my mom was like, why don't you want to go to church? And I was like, because I hate it. When's the last, <laughs> when's the last time you went to church? Uh, good question. It was probably, it was over, uh, it was probably two years ago, mm-hmm. I, I think. And last time I went, this guy came up to me and he like strong armed me and he shook my hand and he wouldn't let go of me. One of the pastors, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, I was just talking to a friend of ours, uh, talking about how, how you could justify being a comedian and, uh, being a believer. And I wanted to rip his throat out. Yeah. You told me that last night and it's just like, ugh. I really, wanted- how do you justify a- asking a question? Like yeah. That? I mean, how do you just- justify being a fucking asshole? <laughs> That's what I wanted to say to this man. And this is a man I've known since I was a boy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's not well, that. There's he- nothing I- even in your comedy that's. No, I'm like a fucking boy scout. Yeah. I swear more in this podcast than in my act. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a boy scout. If you knew how I'm perceived by the community of people like, you know, that are really getting crazy and weird with their stuff. And I go up and I'm like, yeah, boysenberry. That sounds like poisonberry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do my act in uh, chapels and stuff. It works. Here's one thing I, I was I get thinking. so mad. One thing I was thinking about that <laughs> is if you see a if you see a girl that um, was abused when she was younger, yep. and then has a problem having relationships with guys, you understand that you go, oh, because y- your uncle or somebody, your dad, mentally or physically abused you. It makes sense, or same vice versa with a boy. But if you see somebody that was brought up in the church, and then you see them still believing in God or struggling with it, people don't use that same thing like, oh, I understand, or I understand why you feel guilt because you're right. brought up this way. Right. I, I feel like people still. I mean, some of the emails I got after that Mark Maron podcast were crazy. Really? You know, none of them bad. One of them that was bad, but then the guy apologized at the end of it. Like, I, you know, I listen to your comedy and the fact that you ever believed in God makes me never want to listen to anything you say again. That's interesting. And, and then at the end, he goes, I'm really sorry. This is a really shitty email. I'm still going to your show in New York. Ha! <laughs> it was like, so why? Well, and I never responded because it doesn't warrant a response, but it's a hot issue. It's mm-hmm. a touchy thing. And, and people are very, very opinionated. And that's, I'm actually happy to hear you say that. It's like the idea of seeking and looking is so compelling to me. That's why mm-hmm. I love atheists. I love people who have opinions, who have thoughts. I like atheists that are open to maybe being wrong. I guess I really like agnostics the best. Mm-hmm. But it's like the idea of looking and seeking and searching. But like, it can be as lazy to be like an unthoughtful atheist as it is to be an unthoughtful Christian. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, what turns me off is somebody that's just like, that's it. I'm done. Those are my answers. You know what I mean? I think you should. I think you should wrestle with it every day. I think that if I ever come back fully into into church and stuff, I'm going to be glad that I had this time because if I would have just, I, I think the people that never look back, yeah, it's hard to. I don't know. You're spicing up your testimony. Exactly. That's what you're doing. And I had a great testimony. I you used to are be the guy that people came to and said, we want you to tell your testimony. Yeah. This thing. For those of you who don't know, testimony is like a public speaking opportunity for Christians where it's like you tell the story of how you came to Christ, how you became a Christian. Your struggles, what you were like before. My testimony sucked. Yeah. It was you horrible. Were, yeah, I was you were raised up in the church. I was like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then there was a, a woman, uh, Linda, her name, and she loved telling her testimony. It involved like a car crash. There was like a fight with Nazis at one point. I'm kidding. But like it was very, yeah. it was a spicy testimony. Oh, mine, mine was like the bad boy. I was the bad boy that, that came back around. You lit a cigarette and you're like, well, you know, I wasn't always down with JC. <laughs> <laughs> up on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah, kill. It's a prop cigarette. Guys. You kill. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Totally herbs. But I was the guy that still smoked, that they were like, it's okay that he smokes because he uh, was, 
you know. I remember thinking when I was a young Christian being like, I kind of wish everybody had told me this later mm-hmm. that I could have had my, what's the Amish thing, Rumpelstockskin or something? Where they get to just go yeah, out. And- just give me some time to just mm-hmm. be a person. And now I'm doing it now. I, I, and like, you know, not doing it now. I just am doing whatever I'd like to do, I suppose. And it's wonderful. I'm so glad that I'm out of that system. If I was still married, going back to my wife, I'd probably still be in that system. I'd still be going to church. I'd yeah. still be like probably raising kids that way. And I'm glad to be on the outside. I I got an email or no, MySpace message. This is how long ago it was after my first Tonight Show. And it was from a guy that just, apparently was from my church, but it just said, how was your test of money? Really? Yeah. That's funny. Like, my, What does that know, mean? Like from his end, it was that, oh, now I'm all, people think that once you're on the Tonight Show, you're like a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> when you really yeah, yeah, yeah. make no money and it's just. It doesn't pay like 1100 Nobody recognizes, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's like twelve hundred bucks or yeah. something. Not even that, probably. Yeah. But uh, yeah. N- now that you're some rich guy, you don't even care about God anymore. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible about like you can't be rich and be down with Jesus. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that again with your wife, where it was just kind of like, I I go to like a very well-to-do, or I used to go to a very well-to-do church. A lot of Mercedes and stuff in the mm-hmm. parking lot, and also a lot of giving. You know what I mean? They give a large portion of their 10% wealth away. Or more. Absolutely. But it is kind of weird when you think that Jesus was basically like a holy hobo. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was wandering around. My friend's band's name, actually. Holy hobo? The holy hobo. One, two, three, four. Fish into wine. Fish into wine. <laughs> Guys, you're fucking up the miracles. It's water into wine, multiplying the fish. Fish into wine. <laughs> this is our hit, fish into wine. It's not biblically accurate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we should start a band called Holy Hobo. And I don't even say that to be offensive. He literally, people would be like to Jesus, I want to, I want to join you. And he'd be like, well, give up your wife, your kids and your possessions and come with me right now. And they'd be like, I can't. And he'd be like, peace out, bitch. I'm paraphrasing. I remember my pastor one time, (laughs) the head pastor of my church said to me, I've, we, my wife and I have kept our overhead the same since 1985. Really? So we're spending the same amount of money to live and everything else we give. Really? And he's, you know, he's making more money here and here and here. And who knows if that was real or not. But, well, you know, I remember hearing that just thinking like, what a bummer. That is a bummer. <laughs> Come on, man. And it's not biblical when the left hand gives, don't tell the right hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not supposed to. Yeah. There's all, you're not supposed to do anything. No. We talk about that. People we... like to whisper, though. Oh, Yeah. If you give or something, I remember there was a sermon where the pastor was like, you and I did that to each other last night. We shouldn't do it on the podcast. But remember last night we told each other that we had at, at, uh, door guy stories, door guy story. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's so funny. Uh, Nick and I have both randomly given money to people <laughs> just I, like, hey, and here we are talking about it on the podcast. But like, I want to shed light on the shame of the fact that if you do something nice, you kind of have to tell somebody. Yeah, you I, want to. I hadn't told anybody that I did this thing for this person completely out of nowhere, I suppose. And then we were walking and I guess we had had enough to drink that I was like, you know, I gave that. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of nowhere. You know, I gave that door guy, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, I, oh, wait, you know, the and then you told your story. <laughs> you helped someone with their dental surgery. You champion. You cha- I just gave to Alzheimer's research <laughs> and I couldn't champion. I couldn't wait to tell somebody. Oh yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no big deal. No big deal." Yeah, there was no button for the amount I gave. It was the uh, field. I had to write it into the field if you know what I mean. I get a lot of letters in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on the on the on the bottom of the check? No, I mean like there's a button for 25, 50 oh, yeah. and 100 and then there's a field. Let's just say I had to put it in the field. Ooh. I gave 15. Okay. <laughs> okay. 15 hundo. It's because it was low. It was because it was 15, low. I gave it to night show appearance. 
15 I'm grand. kidding. I didn't give that much. I love giving. <laughs> yeah. So this is great. You know, honestly, when I when I listen to your podcast, uh, the Marin thing again, and that's when I that's when I your friend realized that you were as religious as I was growing up. That was funny too. The comedians that came out of the woodwork that would sure you know like like Dan Saint Germain and other people send me like emails like, hey, I was brought up the same way. Yeah, same struggles. Well, there's something weird about it. I think that that kind of perversion. The growing up religious does mm-hmm. a couple things. One, it puts you in your head because you have God, the lifeguard, watching your every thought. Mm-hmm. So now you're also marshalling your own thoughts, which also means you're paying more attention to your own thoughts, which I think fosters the idea that you might be writing jokes and stuff. So you're going to be mm-hmm. – and then you're also going to have this alter ego that I'm often talking about that you have on stage Pete can say whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. He can be whatever he wants. And without yeah. something to rebel against – I don't know if I would have had the fire to become a performer, but like I knew I had these thoughts and I didn't think they were evil thoughts. I didn't think they were bad thoughts, but I was in a system that was kind of like, you shouldn't say fuck. If you don't say fuck, you're a good person. I remember the first time I said fuck on stage and, and I was, yeah, it, it, it was such a weird thing. And then after, afterwards, it slowly started be, being in sets and then I'd have somebody from church that would be down here visiting me and I would throw a fuck out on stage. Yeah. And, and, and I could tell that they, they looked at me like, oh, okay, he's bad now he's moved in another direction yeah well you know i do it kind of with pride now i had a friend of mine who i went to church with and he came and on stage i talked about i referenced my own masturbating something Mm -hmm. something about that and i did it and he was so tickled he loved it you know i could see him wanting to be that real and tell a group of strangers and be like yeah I've masturbated in the past. You know what I mean? Shout out to masturbation. My, my, my Comedy Central special opens with that masturbation joke. Yeah. That you, yeah. you referenced last night yeah, in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I knew that I was sending a message to all those people, like saying, hey, I'm not under the same right. umbrella anymore. I can't, I can't be censored by that middle class morality. I'm, trying, I'm mm-hmm. going for something real. And, it, and if a crowd gets it and understands that I'm not being cruel or evil or, 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 or satanic or something. I believe that God gets my joke too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think he understands and Lord knows he knows I'm masturbating. And at the same time, <laughs> at the same, <laughs> uh, remember that Beavis and Butthead episode when you were younger, where it's like him, you know, he goes to heaven and then God just shows him all these clips of him masturbating. <laughs> that changed my, I was like, really? Uh, oh shit. You do kind of think that's going to happen. Yeah. I yeah. had a pastor tell me, it was like, when you die, you're going to have to, uh, God's going to take out a big TV and show you the video of your life. I was like, that's going to take forever, <laughs> but it's going to be the clips of you. Just, just the worst clips. I, I've said this on the podcast before. And I, there was a Garrison Keillor story too, where he, uh, forwent masturbation for fear of the rapture. Like he thought, and I've done that in my life. You know, mm-hmm. it's really ingrained. But then, like, it did, it gave us this perspective and it forced us to think about things. You know what I mean? Here, here I'm changing topics now. But the other thing that Christianity did for me that I am very glad about was that it kept me away from drinking drugs and sex until I was like 22. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I didn't really start drinking until I was 22. I didn't uh, start having sex. I, I think I lost my virginity around then, like 21 or something. And then, like, I didn't do a drug until I was 28. And, like, because of that morality, that kind of, like, old school puritanical stuff, I think my brain was good. Like, that's good. That's good to preserve your brain up to, to a certain point. extent. Yeah. I, the same. Well, my story is. Now I just I just beat it up all the time. Oh, yeah. Whip it. Well, your brain isn't fully formed until you're 18. Well, I was sober 
I, I got sober when I was 17. I got put in treatment. And, oh, really? And all this crazy, like, rehab. Oh, this is your testimony. Yeah. And so, you know, came out of treatment in this mental institute and, and really? found God. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's a great testimony. Oh, it was the can best. We, can we get a uh, Refiner's Fire playing slowly <laughs> in the background? Refiner's <laughs> Fire. The, there's always the one girl that would like do something be. kind of creative. Would be like, mm, design, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's not about you. It's about the Lord. Stop harmonizing from the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, yeah and then the people that uh, put your hands up, you know what I mean? Like a, just a little bit more. See, I was at a pretty conservative A little bit more church. into it. I was at a pretty conservative church. So if anybody, I put my hands up maybe 15 times. Yeah. My whole. I think that's about stint. where I'm at. I would. I bet. Yeah. Go into it. Get well, it. no, I'm just saying I was sober until I was 28 and then I started drinking, you know, but. So, but you had a flare up when you were a youth. Yes. But was it a flare or was it just the fact that I, I experimented with it a few times? My parents caught me and they. What? Over- weed? I smoked weed three times. Grass? Smoked weed three times. Dope. And uh, drank on the weekends, you know, with my friends and then got caught with alcohol in a Snapple bottle at school, kicked out of school, got in a fight and then was put in rehab. And and I that believed seemed, it. That seems a little extreme. It was. It was extreme. But I I needed that, though. Your dad should have just taken I you behind the barn. I to not be in that because I was also not a motivated kid. I never did any homework and I never cared about school. Yeah. And so if I would have just continued on with that, I would have never succeeded see I, so we're having a similar kind of experience mm-hmm. we had these weird for me it was the lifeguard of god and for you it was literally rehab but it, it kind of kept us clean and bored which i think is one yeah. of the essential ingredients to kind of visualize something and, and, and do something not necessarily certainly there have been a lot of drunken uh, drugged up people that have done wonderful things but i mean like if you're bored and don't have anything to do you're gonna find something to do yeah and i was so i mean i would have just been a fuck up if i would have kept yeah. going I'm grateful that I, I am grateful for that. When I go back to my weird Christian school and perform, I, I, rem, I have to remind myself, I'm like, they, you know, they kept my nose clean. They did it in a weird, they did it in a they weird way. Nose. Yeah. Yeah. I never did Coke. I've never done Coke. I've only seen it once. I'm on Coke right now. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. We can't be friends anymore. Actually, I think if you did Coke, it would be a deal breaker for me too. Yeah. No, I had a roommate that was doing and Coke. I'd like and to, I'd like to say I've, I've never done Coke. I found out he was doing Coke and I kicked him out of my house. Sure. Had, I called his parents in Cleveland, had him fly over and move him out of my place. Yeah, you, you don't need that. No, no, Coke to hey, me man. is the most disgusting. <sighs> Nobody wants that. No. And, you know, I actually wonder, though, I think if you put our brains in MRI machines after we've had a great set, I bet it's lighting up exactly like Coke. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm oh, certain. It, yeah, oh, the, the high that you get. I'm certain. I, I, we, I told you the story about it. I went out for the show and I thought I was going to get it. And I, I think I used the, the euf, uh, euphemism and I was like, I was on cocaine. I've never done cocaine. But when I thought I was going to be on the show, I was on cocaine. Yeah. And I was amazing. Like I was, I was gregarious. I was interesting. I was funny because I was high. And, I, yeah, and your body life. created this, you know. What is serotonin? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Whatever feeling it was. The adrenaline that was released from, from uh, and when you do a show, and I've talked about this before, if you're doing a show and everyone's eating it, and then you go up and you win them over, I'll get off stage and like. And you look at those other comics that couldn't do it, and it's like, hey, you know. Well, we've I've been there too, but like you get off and you just feel like this wasn't an easy crowd, yet I did well. It's mm-hmm. I, don't, I honestly don't look at it like, fuck you guys. We're all in it together. I, I mean that. But like if you can make a, a shitty crowd good for 15 minutes and you get off stage, I, 
I am sure my brain is lighting up with the same receptors that is love and cocaine because I know mm-hmm. cocaine and love are the same. Well, I've also heard that with the cocaine is one of those things that you do it and it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that too. That's a feeling that I want. I've said this many times about drugs where it's like I don't want a substance that makes me feel something that I could get from achieving something. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of a substance that makes me go like I feel like I just killed at Carnegie Hall and you didn't. You're in the back of a Miata. <laughs> Fucking get your shit together. Yeah. Well, that's didn't I, real. Didn't I say that to you? I was like, that's what something you want to say to comedians sometimes is get your act together, meaning mm-hmm. your act. <laughs> hey, get your act together. I think that's a great heckle for a comedian. It's it's sad when you see a comedian that you know is really funny and they just they're just fucking up. Yep. Oh yeah, we're, we're we lose them left and right to which, a, a lot of different things. Which was ma- what made me scared about what Emily said to me last night. Yeah, I don't know what it is, Nick. There, there might just be some sort of smoky mystery to you, but like I think people are your whole life are going to be kind of like what's your deal? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that this all goes back to the superhero thing where you have an alter ego, you have Nick Thune and then capital Nick Thune. And then like, you don't tell your therapist the truth. There, There's something sociopathic, not about you, but about all of us. I mean, mm-hmm. every single person. Sociopaths are people that don't have that under wraps, but we're all presenting a certain face to reality. Going back to your masquerade party, mm-hmm. ancient tribes used to put on masks and they would look at their reflection and then they would behave that way. If you put on like a mischievous mask, you'd act mischievous. You yeah. know what I mean? And every day you're grooming your image. I'm grooming my image. We're telling ourselves who we are and we're acting that way. And then at, at, at the end of the day, people can probably tell that somewhere beneath it, maybe what Emily was saying was, what's really going on? Yeah. And I think it's the goal of life is to bring out what's really going on and who we are and merge those things and just be who we are on stage, who we are off stage, who we are when I wake you up at four in the morning. Have that Nick Thune be a present all the time. Someone like Kyle Kinane, I feel like, is that, you know, like you. You get the sense that he's him. He's him. Yeah. I get that sense, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope I, I bet people say that about you. I'm not I, I don't think that's what Emily was saying. I feel like you are who you are off stage, actually very much so. And I hope people say that about me. But everybody, not just you, has some sort of thing inside of them. Yeah. That, that that maybe when we're having a couple cocktails, someone will be like, what's going on, Nick? You know what I mean? They can see something in your eye that they want to bring out. Yeah, I think they're, yeah, like, like what you're saying about our mutual friend where it's like 60 to 80% of the time happy, fun to be around. And then there's that 20, yeah. you know, whatever, where you just look at them and you think they are hurting. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty good at picking up on sadness in people. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of troubling. But if, if, like the look, the worst look is this smile and they kind of look away and they're smiling, but you can tell they're just like, you're like, you're on a Goodyear blimp. You're gone mm-hmm. and you're so alone. You're on the moon right now. And like, and, and, and that, that sort of thing is even on the happiest people is going to be present from time to time. What can we do to help people like that? Refine is My heart's one desire <laughs> is to be holy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Set apart for you, Lord. Lord. <laughs> I choose to be holy. Oh. Nick, this was the best. We're going to have you back on. Nope. <laughs> There's a pen. We shook hands and there was a pen in my hand. So we pen shook. And my hands. I've, I've seen that you can do this. Yeah, I spin. Oh, I can spin. spin. Oh, you do it too. Mm-hmm. Did you have Asian friends? 
No, I just picked it up in seventh grade. I did actually. My, yeah, one of my, my best friends look, growing up. Asian. If that's racist, then I'm racist. Asian <laughs> people know how to spin their pens, and they taught me. They taught me because really I went fun. to a Korean church for a while. Anyway, that and uh, something else racist. I'll say. Uh, we end every episode asking if the guest will say, "Keep it crispy." Keep it crispy. You chose yes. Thank you so much, Nick. Really, really, thank you for your uh, candor. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week with, uh, I don't know, who cares? Now leaving Nerdist.com. 